Another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And I am sitting across from somebody who can barely contain himself for today's episode. Oh, I'm so excited. So, um... Do you remember how excited you were for I, Daniel Blake? Yes. This is even more so. I oh I won't even debate you on that. Yeah. I I am I am very aware of that fact. Um. So uh, we always give you some recommendations. So I don't know if you want to go first or second. I can keep mine. I can keep mine short if you'd like. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna keep mine short too because I know how long this is gonna go. Okay. So why don't why don't you go first? Okay. Okay. What do you got? So I unfortunately I have to apologize to our dear listeners. I am cheating a little bit this week, and that's simply because I how dare I you? Know, what a jerk. What a jerk. Um, I've been watching way too much Letter Kenny on Hulu lately, which I have to, I cannot recommend highly enough. I, uh, some of the best, it's a Canadian show. Uh, they've got all six seasons on, uh, Hulu. They're very short seasons, six to seven episodes. Highly recommend it. Some of the best dialogue that I have seen on TV since the mid two thousands with HBO, with shows like Deadwood and Rome, like that is how quick-witted and brilliant some okay. of this dialogue is but my recommendation as a as a movie um i was kind of trolling around on prime again because prime is now very expensive and so i want to make sure i'm getting my money's worth out of it yeah um that's how i feel about it yeah and uh i came across something that i i love very dearly i saw this film three times in cinemas and i have shown it to literally anyone who will give me two hours of their time it's uh it's dog soldiers Okay. It's a little little British-made film. It was actually made in Luxembourg, of all places, because they couldn't actually afford to shoot in Scotland, where the whole film takes place. So okay. it's shot on the royal family's estate in Luxembourg. hey Which is fantastic. I yeah. Mean, it, it looks great. Well, it's shot on 16, so when I say it looks great, just be prepared for that. Yeah. Um, so Dog Soldiers very basically is... And one of the critical reviews at the time said this film is Jaws meets Alien meets Predators. It's like all the best elements of those okay. in one. So it's uh, a group of British commandos. Uh, they're sent on a training exercise in the woods. And the film is the, the kitchen sink is thrown into this film. There are references from everything from Apocalypse Now to The Matrix. Okay. That's how loaded this film is. And it's a first feature from Neil Marshall, um, a name... Some of you will recognize, some of you won't. He just recently directed that abysmal uh, Hellboy reboot. But he's also done quite a lot of television. I know he's directed a few episodes of Game of Thrones and some other things like that. Okay. Um, 
So this group of British commandos in the forest, they're on a training exercise, only they realize, they come to realize that they are not on a training exercise. This is a very real situation, and that werewolves walk among us in the highlands of Scotland. And, and so it's uh, the film goes from being, you know, this cheeky little, the dialogue is superb in it. It's this cheeky little, you know, guys on patrol to, you know, it's, we're locking down this house and we've got to make it through the night. And, uh, the cast includes, um, three names I really want to highlight. Sean Pertree, who has gone on to be Alfred Pennyworth in the Gotham series. Okay. Kevin McKidd, who I knew from train spotting, but most people will now know, uh, from being on Grey's Anatomy for years, uh, the tall, Scottish fella in that. Okay. I don't think he does a Scottish accent on Grey's Anatomy, though. I, I wouldn't know, because I why know. would I subject myself to that? And Liam Cunningham, who everyone will know from Game of Thrones. Yes, yeah. And Liam Cunningham kind of plays, like, the bad, the shady, shadow ops kind of guy. He's He is phenomenally good in this. And the dialogue, as I said, the dialogue is some of the best in British film. I really, really adore this film. It's so bad, and so it's a werewolf film for Christ's sake. But it's true, yeah. It is an absolute ton of fun. If you have a Prime membership, you really ought to treat yourself. The reason I watched it is because it went through a lot of controversy as far as, as I said, it's shot on 16, and so it hasn't aged very well. And a wonderful label, who I actually met a couple of these guys at Comic-Con uh, the year that I worked it, and I, they were very grateful that I had, you know, given them a, a good review because they went through hell trying to find an original print of this film. And eventually it came down to them. They had like a second or third generation print. And there's only so they tried to master it in 4K, uh, 2K. And there's only so much you can do with a worn out second generation print of a 16 millimeter film. Yeah. Um, I still think it looks pretty good. It's got there. I've held on to my region two DVD and handled it with with kid gloves for years because it, it looks really good. It looks the same as when I saw it in theaters because it's it's a direct first generation transfer. Yeah. Uh, what's really cool about theirs is how distra- it now has a grindhouse look to it. Okay. Which is just everybody railed against it and said how garbage it looks. And I I told these guys this. And I was like, man, you guys, I know you guys have been getting a lot of shit for this. And I, and I really appreciate what you've done. This is one of my fa- I told them it was one of my favorite British films of all time. I saw it three times in cinemas. I really love what you guys did with it. And because it has now has, because you were limited by the options you had, it now has, as I said, that grindhouse look to it. Yeah. And so I, I really hope this film lives on as, and, and comes to get the sort of recognition it deserves. Hopefully people who are Games of Thrones fans will look back at some of Neil Marshall's other work or some of Leon Cunningham's yeah. other work because it is it has one of the best campfire story scenes in the history of film. I absolutely cannot recommend this film highly enough. Okay. Adam, please. So, what do you have? Yeah, so uh my I also watched mine on Prime. Um and it's a movie I I'm surprised in in remembering, you know, when I went back and watched it, how many times I've seen this movie. I think, it's like, I think it was like the fourth or fifth time I'd seen it, which is one of those – I feel like I only do that with movies I really, really like. And I So guess this the, isn't new discovery for either no, of us. No, it's not. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. This wasn't a new discovery for me, um, but it was an, it was new to Melissa. Um, she had never seen it. That's awesome when you always get to share yeah. stuff like that. And she basically one night said, uh, I want to watch something scary. And so, sometimes she'll just give me a genre and I'll go, okay, I'll, I'll look around. And I, I was on Prime going through – and I went, oh, I love this movie. And she goes, I've never seen it. And I, I was convinced I'd made her watch this movie before, and she hadn't. And so I was like, oh, done. This is what we're watching. And so we watched Event Horizon. 
event we've talked about event horizon i think and um and i really really enjoy this movie and uh she had never seen it and it, it's a very it's you know it's very similar it, it also fits so well with what we're talking about oh today. yeah no you did a better job than i did um but you know, so this crew of people have to go find the event horizon because it's gone missing and all of a sudden it's popped back up on radar. And uh it's got a great cast. Sam Neill, Lawrence Fishburne, um oh god, and people I can't remember. Um, Jason, Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs is yeah. in it. Um a couple other people too, uh, who I should know, but I d I don't know their names. And basically they have to go and basically see what happened to the ship that's been gone for so long and just kind of pop back up. And the terror is psychological. I mean, there are a couple of horrifying images, but it's the tension of what's going to happen. And uh, I remember I saw it fairly young. I don't know why. I think I was able to have it. Like, I saw 8mm way too young, you know? And, and Yeah, 8mm did not sit well with me no. at 13 years old. Yeah, and um, but it's the it's the the vocal quality and it being, I think it's in Latin of the, I don't even know, the evil. I'll just call it the evil. Um, it's so disturbing. The few images you see are really, really fucked up. Um, well, and that's not even the complete film. The film is truncated, and the the footage, the the extended version is actually it doesn't exist anymore. The studio were so horrified that they demanded that the footage be destroyed. Yeah, and and, and here's the thing though. But even what's in there, it's still, it's still messed up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's the thing is, I mean, the, I just told you the plot. A, a ship gets lost. It pops back up on radar after a very long time. I couldn't tell you how long, but a very long time. And this crew goes out there to essentially find out what happened. And uh, in doing so, they they have to deal with what happened to the people who were on the ship. Um, and actually, it's a movie that could fail, um, but everybody's so committed to it. Fishburne, Sam Neill, uh, Jason Isaacs, um, the blonde who I can't – she's in The Patriot. Um, oh, and, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the medical doctor – is is from stuff too, and I just can't think of her name. But it's it's, you know what? I I'm not gonna. We have so much to talk about today. I'm not gonna go into more detail. It's really good. It's a scary space movie. Um, not better than what we're gonna talk about today, but still very enjoyable. As of this recording, it's on Prime, and um, probably the best movie that Paul W. S. Anderson has ever made. Yeah, I was gonna um, say it's a shame that his career didn't follow down that path. Didn't he do Mortal Kombat? I think he did. I, I don't recall, one. but I, when I think W.S. Anderson, I always think the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there you go. There's a recommendation. How did, how did Melissa react? Oh, she liked it. Did yeah. she I did? mean, well, she was scared. She, you know, I, I think she would say that she, she – I don't know if she would say that she liked it because she was scared. But I, I, mean, I think she enjoyed it. She had a, she had a reaction awesome. to it. Yeah, so yeah. I, well, if I could share a little story, a coworker of mine goes to Emerald City Comic Con every year, uh -huh. and Jason Isaacs was there this year. Ah. And somebody did ask him about Event Horizon, and he shared a couple of stories. The one story that really he had to share with me uh, was he wanted – Jason Isaacs was like, hey, what are you going to do with this huge, messed-up body cast that you guys did of me, you know, with the, the chest and the spine all open? And, like, can I, can I have that? He's like, I really, I really would like, because you guys are just going to put it in storage or destroy it or whatever you're going to do. I would really like to have that. <laughs> and they were like, no, man, we spent ungodly amounts, but you can't just have this. It like costs way too much to produce. I he didn't, he, he doesn't know what ended up happening to it, but he said he came back to his wife and said, yeah, I really wanted it. 
and I wanted to put it in the kitchen. She went, are you insane? No, what the hell were you going to do with this thing? I mean, it's just an amusing story, an amusing anecdote about wanting to keep this full body cast of himself. Well, that's, that's great. <laughs> I mean, I guess the arguing you could have made was, no, that's me. You guys can't keep that. I like That's my likeness. I'm sure well, if you wanted to fight for it, you, you could have. I was in a show once where they had to... Uh, they had to design a 17th century leather jacket to fit me specifically. And uh, I asked, I was like, guys, you made this jacket for me. It's been measured to my body. Like, can I just have it? And she was like, I had to order this fabric in from overseas and then pick it up in New York. No, you don't get this jacket. I was like, ah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Do you know what ended up happening to it? It's I have just, no idea. It's just no in idea. storage it's, somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. And how often would I wear it? Probably not, but still. Yeah. Whatever. Off topic and getting us back on. We are, is this the 40th anniversary? It is. There we go. And we're um, actually, and like Easy Rider a couple of weeks ago, we are literally a day out. From its its anniversary, it had a limited release on May the twenty fifth, and correct me if I'm wrong, it'll be May twenty fourth when this goes out. That sounds correct. Yep, excellent. So there you go. We are pretty much on the money. That's awesome. And uh, we are talking about the sci-fi horror, wonderful, wonderful feature that has a little name called Star Beast. I mean, I'm not even going to dignify I mean, wait, that wait, with wait, an wait, answer. Wait, 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 The eighth passenger? Wait. <laughs> and of course, I mean the Ridley Scott-directed Alien. Um, 1979, of course. Um, and here's the thing, too. This this movie has a cast uh, that's very small, and so we just get to, we get to talk about all of them, which is great. So, um, uh, of course, we have Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, Tom Skerritt as Dallas, Veronica Cartwright as Lambert. Harry Dean Stanton as Brett. God, I adore Harry John, Dean Stanton in this. John Hurt as Kane. Um, Yafet Koto as Parker. And Ian Holm as Ash. And I should, I don't know the, the, the name right on this page of notes, but also the guy who happened to have to fit inside that fucking alien costume. The, the six foot ten, I'm going to attempt to pronounce his name, Beaujolais Badejo. There you go. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. Badejo, I don't know. Oof, this movie is written... Apparently, depending by, on who you ask. Uh, okay, so okay, let's do this. If you were to go off of the credits that roll in the movie, this it's, movie it's is Dan written by Dan O'Bannon, uh, based off of the ideas of Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chusset. Do we want to do this now or wait? Do we want to get through stats first and then talk about writing stuff? Because I, you seem like you want to. I think. Okay, so here, so let's let's get this part out now. This is only the second time I've seen this movie. I I very much like this movie. Ian loves this movie. Well, before we go any any further, we should preface. <laughs> wait, wait. Before okay, I'm just kidding. Before we even before we even deal with the thing that we are gonna deal with, I am a Ridley Scott fanboy. So take whatever you want from from this podcast from me with a grain of salt, because I will defend Ridley Scott to the death. He is. If you went back 15 years ago, was my favorite filmmaker. He's now, I would put him on my at the number two position, just behind Stanley Kubrick. Oh, okay, okay. But I am 100% in love with Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott is, I'm is the reason I love film. There you go, there you go. Yeah. Um. So, so I had to. So I had to. I didn't have to. I wanted to. But I watched all of the special features for this movie that come in the quadrilogy. 
the quadrilogy. Um, there, there's a lot, and there is there, there, there is days worth of information. And it took it took me days to watch to watch all the the featurettes. Um, and just for Alien, before yes. you even got into the rest of them. No, I, I didn't. I yeah. just did. I couldn't. I couldn't. I would. I would kill myself. Yeah. Um. So I had just from from the time it would take. So I, I watched all of the 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 the, the featurettes on Alien from the and, quadrilogy and the enhancement pods as well. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I don't do I watch so much, man, I don't even know. <laughs> um but uh so we talk about unsung heroes, um which I'm not going to do right now. But my 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 sung fuckface, as I'll call it, is Dan O'Bannon. Uh, he is he is difficult to listen to. Oh man. Oh man. The, but the problem is he's not wrong. When is he, he right? says when he says I put a cap on the genre, which is one of the most arrogant fucking things i've ever heard in my life he's he's kind of not wrong but you don't have to say it Do you know I, what I mean it's just and it, I, I i love his fight i love that he defended his work sure and that he put walter hill in his place because he's right after those arbitrations you're not supposed to talk about that shit and you know dan o'bannon fought for what was right like he is he is not in the wrong but he is an arrogant prick yeah and Okay, so... Or was. I actually don't know if he's still alive. Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. After the very first featurette, which is basically about him, because it's like the genesis of the story. So it's basically him and Chusette talking about this this script. And Chusette, is, he's wonderful to listen to. He's, he's What a he, weird guy. He, and he's very humble, which is... Well, he's the polar opposite yes, of O'Bannon. Yeah. Um, I had to do... A, I had to dig in a little bit as to who Dan O'Bannon was. And... There's a podcast I listen to, which I've mentioned on this show before, called How Did This Get Made, where they take bad movies and they rip it apart. And, and one of those did movies... Did they do Dark Star? They did Life Force. Oh, even worse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not good. It's bad. Not good. It's real bad. And Melissa and I watched it, and the thought I had when we were watching Life Force was, man, this was a movie that really, like, it was so serious. With it, like, they, This was supposed to be a legit movie, and it just fell so hard and when i saw that on imdb that that was his script i was like oh okay now that makes this sense. is what alien could have been it could have been this yeah and i get that the idea the, the the genesis of the idea is him i i mean i'm not gonna i can't say that he didn't write the movie it was his idea he wrote he wrote the script but what walter hill brought in as changes and what ridley scott did on the screen and further to extrapolate what H.R. Geiger designed, Ooh. we'll come back to Geiger. Let's let's carry on down this path. Geiger we'll, is the unsung hero of this movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, cool. Let's we'll get that one hundred percent. Um, we haven't even gotten past the fucking stats. We haven't even gotten to the stats. But yet. there's there's a lot to deal with when it comes to the script. Yeah. Um. So real. Let's okay. Let's 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 kind of. So anyways. Um. This movie came out in 1979. Um, Ridley Scott has three other movies in the book. He has Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, and Gladiator. How do you feel about that? I know you're a fanboy, so that might seem oh, like... Yeah, that is that, makes is sense. that a fair representation I of am, his films? I am very surprised that Black Hawk Down is not in the book. I am too. It must have been at one point. I feel yeah. like it... I feel like it uh, yeah. 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 But I, I think... Yeah, I'm happy with that. That those, seems like a good those are the, those are the, of... the, the cornerstones. Those are the quote-unquote important films of his yeah yeah i get that too um stat wise um at the academy awards it won best visual effects um which i love the interview with the guy talking about winning 
yeah and how like flirty because they were like nah, nobody's gonna give a shit about this thing and then when they said their names and like oh we didn't prepare anything but, so it, it lost production design so all that jazz yeah i find that really hard like yeah. that's and i and i haven't seen all that jazz i know what it's about and i've seen like you know clips and stuff but what yeah really okay because they're like you said geiger being the unsung hero what he did and then what the other the visual futurists did and and mobius's designs and all of that stuff yeah no this yeah. film is at the time one of the mo- most unique looking pieces of cinema yeah yeah it really is and it holds up very well yeah so yeah, those are the only two. Um, that the one win, the one loss. Um, it was nominated for best score at the Golden Globes. Okay, are you about to shit on Jerry Goldsmith's score? No, I don't. Because this could get ugly. No, I'm not going to shit on it. I think it's okay. It, for me, it's not as. I think it's Jerry Goldsmith's best score. I, I'm not I a big ad- Jerry Goldsmith it. fan. I adore it. That's that's fine because I, well, and this is why because I understand why you say that about Goldsmith because he has a tendency to slip into those larger-than-life John Williams moments that undercut what you're seeing. Yeah. But this is his most reserved. He, uh, this His approach to this was less is well, more. Well, no, and I, I do love the um the I, the opening of the movie is great. I love the the score over the credits forming, over the this, the, the, the camera just kind of slowly panning. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's a great. That, yeah, yeah, the score. No, I like the score. I don't, I'm not going to say that I love it, but I do enjoy it. Oh, I, I don't. I, get, I absolutely adore it. I, I don't. I I would have picked it over Apocalypse Now, which won at the Globes. Yeah, because when you think of, about Apocalypse Now, when you think of the music in it, you think of the Doors. Well, or well, and the dun da da da, da which isn't. Yeah, it's not. It's the Globes are in many ways messed up, but I, I I think that was before they maybe knew what they their idea of what the best score was. Yeah, but yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. the BAFTAs at least production design got picked up at the BAFTAs. Yep. Um, and sound. And sound, yeah. Um, it was nominated for a bunch go. of other stuff as well. It was nominated for costume, which it lost to Yanks. Editing, which it lost to Deer Hunter. Uh, Sigourney... This, ooh, oh, my God. And we all know how bad I feel the editing in that movie is. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Best Newcomer, mm-hmm. which she lost to a fellow named Dennis Christopher for a film called Breaking Away I've not heard of. Breaking Away is a movie about um, a bike race in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, really? The Little Five, yeah. Is it any good? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, I should, right. yeah, but I haven't seen it. Um, it's a big deal over there. <laughs> it also lost score to Days of Heaven, which, again, as much as I adore Jerry Goldsmith's score, I don't really have a problem with that one. Okay. And it lost supporting actor for John Hurt to uh, Robert Duvall for Apocalypse Now, which I'm kind of okay with. I, I, does John Hurt do enough in this movie to be nominated? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because what I'm going to come to later as we talk about, I'm really going to talk about Ian Holm a lot. Fair. Like, okay. s- sit back and oh. get comfy because yeah. I'm going to talk about Ian Holm a lot. Cool. Okay. Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? 2002. Great. Okay. We got that covered. Um, the only other one that I, I had on here is in 2017, Empire did one of their best five, top 500, I think, and uh, currently ranked at number 14, the best film ever. That's very high. It is very high. Definitely, I think, deserves a place on the top 500 ever. Um, I may even go as far to say the top 50. Well, I wouldn't, but I. But no. that's... No. Yeah, it's, it's impacted us differently. Yes. Um, it currently is number 52 on the IMDb 250, uh, which makes a whole lot of sense, I think. Um, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 97 critical, 94 audience. Um, that, that all makes sense. It does, yep. 
Um, did you find any uh, critical reviews that you wanted to talk about? I did from uh, the BFI, actually, one of their 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 quarterly supplement that they put out. A fellow named uh, Philip Strick wrote, with the sole exception of 2001, where the hardware was all clean, antiseptic lines and lights, Alien outshines all competition in the luminous splendor of its uh, of its photography. What a, I love that. Yeah. The luminous splendor of its photography. And what it lacks in substance, it more than gains in the elegant pattern of its images. I, I do disagree with the substance thing, and I'll, I'll deal with that when we get to it. Despite the shocks, the gore, and the amiable performances, of which Veronica Cartwright's is the most thankless, Ian Holmes the most intriguing, Alien evades what was mundane in Star Wars and obscure in Close Encounters and reminds us once more that science fiction is the story of inner space. Before I before I get to mine, um, I I love because because those those three movies are so closely clumped together. I gotta say, this is my favorite of the three. I think back in the day, I would have taken the easy answer and said Close Encounters, but no, I'm I'm with you. This is the Ooh, best. Let's of do the it. Three. Let's do it. Let's rank them right now. Where do you go? Alien, Close Encounters, Star Wars. Yeah, I got to switch Star Wars and Close Encounters. Are you not? Do you not like a Close Encounters as much as I th- think you do? That would be an app statement. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll deal with that. I'm sure we will. No, <laughs> there close encounters is is in there, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is. Anyway, um, I found the original Guardian review. Um, oh, I I saw that one. Derek as well. Malcolm. Yeah. Um, if you want cinematic kicks, Ridley Scott's massively successful Alien will give you them in profusion. Physically, I mean. Uh, no film I have seen in this last year or so emanates so strong a whiff of palpable nerve-straining shock. It is, in fact, an audience reaction picture par excellence, which explains perhaps better than the colossal buildup why everyone wants to see it. The public now seems to be sitting back in its seats and saying, amaze me, Alien, above all others, recently can be relied upon to do just that. Which uh, you know doesn't say much about the movie, but it's kind of great to know that even then people were were on board and and, and yeah. psyched about this movie. Yeah, I don't even you start. I I don't even know where you want to go, man. I, I I you know honestly, there's so much I don't know either. Did you want to continue our writers' discussion, or or had you kind of said all you wanted to say about that? No, I mean. Because you, you mentioned that, that Geiler and Hill, they came in and they had some very good additions. I think the best of their additions was Ash being an android. Well, yes, yes. That that was one. Having the, the lead be female, having it be Sigourney was another one. How bad is Which, Star the, Beast? How bad is that as a title? Oh, it's terrible. And um, the, the eighth passenger isn't a bad title. It's just boring. But then even then... It doesn't leave, it's, it's, it doesn't title, leave a lot. The title wasn't even O'Bannon's. It was Shusette's. By all recollection, it was Shusette who came up with the title of the movie. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm very biased. His – and, it, like, it would be different if it was, like, third hand. But, like, O'Bannon's demeanor during those interviews for the, the – the, all the footage on the DVD, I just kept thinking of what a prick this guy was. Which is unfortunate because I, it's like I – it really skewed – every time he came on screen, I was like, fuck this guy. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, but it's it's that's got to be difficult to deal with when you went through all the arbitration that he went through, and then to have, I'm I'm sure that does increase your arrogance when you've you've gone through something like that in your mind, and then to come out the other side, the victor, over Hill and Geiler, and and how much from his perspective, how much shit talking was coming from the the Walter Hill camp. I mean, I kind of like I said, I I'll, I'll reiterate it. He's not wrong. But he's also this. There are there should be some humility in victory, 
and he sure. doesn't show any. Well, and it's this is an example where, and I I often think that, you know, producers can be just the nameless people or not the name, the faceless people on a production who basically just put up the money, that and and that can be the view of it sometimes. I think I was pleasantly surprised to hear the ideas that they had that worked yeah. in the movie. And I don't feel like you get to hear that all that often. You know, I feel like if it's like an executive, it's just kind of hands off, whatever, you know, um, report to me if it's going over budget. And Well, this this is the distinction that Alien, this as a series, as a franchise, right up through Resurrection had, is the fact that there were too many hands in the pot, especially on Alien 3. Yeah, yeah. Which essentially killed that film. Mm-hmm. And so looking at Walter Hill, David Geiler, looking at their contributions, yeah, they, they did some stuff which impacted the film for the better. But when you also... The, the, the way that they sort of nannied the production all the way through was not helpful, I feel. I, it, I, I think it's amazing that with all the behind-the-scenes nonsense and people second-guessing Ridley or second-guessing Geiger or second-guessing even O'Bannon to just to make him even more of a martyr. I, I think it's amazing we got a film half as good as it actually is. Yeah, that's true. Out of a production with that much contention. Yeah. I was going to say the, the, the lack of trust that they seem to have. Well, Ridley was the, he was the new boy on the block, yeah. right? He had done the duelists, mm-hmm. which you saw and you liked, right? Yep. I'm, I'm very happy. I love the duelists. That's I good. think that is, again, it's a, it's a better than average first feature. And to come out, I mean, Ridley came out of that with some arrogance as well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and sweep that under the rug. Cause he came out of, Cannes. he won uh, the grand jury prize at Cannes. Mm-hmm. He didn't win the Palme d'Or, but he won the grand jury prize. And so he's like, first time out of the gate, I've won this. Now the world is my oyster. And he had scripts coming at him left and right. He was actually going to make... At the time, he had two scripts. So to give you some history, he had two other scripts that he could have done at the time. He could have done a movie uh, about the gunpowder plot, which Guy Fawkes and yep. almost mm-hmm. blowing up Parliament, all, which I don't feel has ever been done properly in film. And I would love to see somebody dig that script up and have a go at it. And then the other one was Tristan and old. Okay. That script has been around a very, very long time. And Ridley, by his own admission, said it was far too esoteric. And I think he says something to the degree of, I think maybe me and my mom would have seen it and that would have been it. <laughs> because he'd already done a period piece. And so he didn't want to do another one and then potentially just be the guy that does these esoteric period pieces. And of course, Tristan is old and he ended up giving it to Kevin Reynolds, who did an okay job with it. I don't know if you've seen Tristan and his old. I have not. Yeah. Uh, 2006. I think it's got Franco in, in it. If I remember right. I don't, yeah. It, that sounds it's, right. It's okay. I mean, it's a passable enough movie, but it's, it's one of those unfortunate what ifs or what if Ridley had actually done this, it could have been a masterwork. Yeah. By all accounts. And then alien comes to him right as he saw star Wars. He talks about seeing star Wars about three weeks after it came out. And seeing it with an audience and seeing that audience reaction and knowing that there were people in there that this wasn't their first viewing and the fact that they kept coming back to it. I go, okay, I got to do this. I got to make... And the fact that he turns around and and takes the idea of a used future, a sort of cannibalized ship, you know, stuff that you have to like keep this thing going kind of thing. Like nothing in it is squeaky and shiny and new and and really run with that and do it even better than how Star Wars did it. Yeah. I, I think it's great. And I love the juxtaposition coming now into design work where you have the ship and the sterility of having to have this spacecraft that people need to live in, in an unlivable environment. And then going to the croissant 
as they lovingly dubbed it, the derelict ship. Yeah. And I, I don't know. We could sit here all night and talk about Geiger. Yeah. His, his contribution to this film cannot be understated. Yeah. At all. And I love the psychosexual nature of it. That's what everybody talks about is this, this strange eroticism. Yeah. The, the melding of the mechanical and the sexual and the fact that they pass into the ship through what look like giant vaginas. Well, that and uh, I've also, you know, I read that the um, the face hugger was um, like a version of male rape. And yeah. um, and the, uh, the the chest burster seen as a violent birth. Yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of those things that are sacred to our species. You know, the idea of pregnancy and of giving birth and of creating new life. And it really does a fantastic job of bastardizing those and turning them into a horrific event rather than the miracle of birth. Yeah. And, and how good is that chestburster scene? It's not just it, – it's the lead-up is so great. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, it's, it's a very famous shot. Clearly – a moment I'd seen before I'd even seen the movie. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I was aware that this was a shot in, in the movie. Um, what's great about it though, is the storytelling because the face hugger, the dead or whatever it is, like it falls from the ceiling, right? They, they examine it. Um, but he's fine. Right. Yeah. Right. He's, he wakes up and he's, He's okay. Yeah, this thing just did its thing on his face, and now he's gonna be okay. Yeah, and and because because again, I, you know, I'm I'm watching this first time, and and I'm watching not not this. This is only my second time, but but again, first time I watched it, I was like, okay, so he's okay. So it must happen later. The the scene that I know about must happen later, and when it happens, when it happens, that's just great storytelling. It takes you completely off guard. Yeah, because you think he's okay. Yeah, you have that moment. You have the relief, and you're like, okay, now we're back to where the first time we saw them. They're all sitting yeah, around. Um, yep. They're getting ready to go back into their, their hibernation pods. Everything's going to be, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's it's still shot, even if you know it's coming. Because, again, I don't think anybody of our generation would have not known that it's coming because of how infamous it is. Sure. But to have it in context and to have it ha- – it happens quick, and it's over very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so you're left uh, just sat back and going, Jesus. What? Well, the moment of it happens quickly, but – that camera linger when it's out. The camera yeah. lingers on the little creature yeah. for quite a while before. Uh, and as far as lingering goes, that's another thing I appreciate so much about this film. It's not in any rush. Yeah, to get where it's going, it's very deliberately paced. Things are allowed to play out in certain in, in real time in some circumstances. Can I? You know, this is a movie that I don't find many faults with, if if at all. But this, I was watching this last time, and again, you know, watching the movies for the podcast, I tend to be hypercritical of them because now well, I'm watching. And, well, it with you're a, you're looking for things. Yeah, I it sucks too because I I love Yafet Kodo and Harry Dean Stanton. I think their characters are fun. They definitely represent more, you know, the the blue collar workers, right? They they're they're just, they're just dudes. They're just regular guys. But boy, if I didn't have a hard time understanding a, a, a lot of what they said, I, I it was hard to to hear them. And there was there was a moment early on where they were talking, and I'm like, I I fucking I didn't hear I didn't hear a goddamn word they said. And I was watching the director's cut because I wanted to watch that one. And on the director's cut, there's no subtitles, so I literally couldn't. And I didn't want to just read. I didn't want it was too much hassle. I didn't, wasn't going to do that. But I was bummed because like fuck, I'm sure what they're saying is great, but I I couldn't get the specifics. Yeah. And that really, 
of nitpicks is not big, but no. that's one that I had. But I think it's there are the grumbling, the, the the grunts down there doing the shit work that nobody else wants. They're the engineers. They're the guys that have to keep the shit running. And of yeah. course, they're their so skills talk, are undervalued. Let's talk about bonuses. Yeah. Let's talk about, yeah. And that's, that's the great thing about Yafet Kodo in this is the fact that he, he was that character by all accounts and just pissed everybody off. Yeah. Every opportunity that he got. In fact, to the point where Ridley Scott was avoiding him. Yes. Yeah. He would come in, he would come into the set from a different, from a different way so that he didn't have to bump into Yafet and yeah. deal with him, like giving him a hard time. And of course the antagonistic relationship between him and Sigourney it's so good. Yeah. Deliberately pushing each other. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that really pisses me off about the way people approach this film is having no character development. I don't see that at all. I think we get exactly what we need. And of course, Ridley did something that now I think is, is can be common practice because I've heard about it on in other supplements on other films. But a lot of the, the actors were coming to him for for other for information that he didn't feel was nece- was necessary mm-hmm. in telling the story but what he did is he wrote out four or five pages of their entire history from yeah. birth to the moment they step on this ship and they all found that completely invaluable and i think it all informs their performance in a in a in a way that we don't need because it's not necessary to, i don't need to know how long any of these people were in the NASA space program or what their history with the U.S. military was or how they became these sort of oil riggers of the space age. You know what I mean? I don't need any of that. I don't need to know what planet they've been to, where they're getting the the minerals that they've mined. That's not what this movie is about. Yeah. And so when people talk about a lack of character development, I, is that is that really the argument you're going to go with of why you don't like this film? Well, it seems like a stretch. I mean, it, it is. if you're not going to like it, then you're going to like it for other reasons than I would yeah, say that. I think that's that's a, one thing that people have reached out for. Oh, I can use this. I mean, if for um, if for no no other character, Sigourney Weaver's arc is huge. Yeah, I think it's I think it's enormous. You know, she's fairly subservient, quiet. You know, until and then she, her first big turn is when she doesn't want to let them come back in, and like that's a pretty big step to take. That, and that's the moment that I miss between versions because I, I'm theatrical version is my preferred version because even Ridley has said, oh, the theatrical was my director's cut. This, this director's cut version that's out there was kind of a marketing thing by Fox. And he went, no, 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 if you're going to do that, let me actually do it properly. Don't just put out an alternate version. Let me actually go through and make some changes if you want changes to be made. And that moment where Lambert slaps her that's not in the theatrical yes but it is and that is the one moment that i i would say i think i missed the most between the versions yeah because it's it's so telling about their kick and there's also another scene which i don't think is in either version where sigourney is comforting lambert towards the end and trying to help her get through it and it sort of it suggests a lesbian relationship yeah which is great when you think about how antagonistic they've been to each other and if there is a sort of jilted lover thing that is happening. I mean, Ridley had this whole thing where he wanted to deal with like asexual relationships and, and bisexual relationships in space because it's like an unnecessary thing. You don't want to have couples in space, but you still have human needs and human urges. Yeah. And so a warm body is just a warm body. Sure. Right. Yeah. And as we head now towards a sort of gender fluidity, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. It was kind of ahead of its time yeah. in that sense, had they been allowed to sort of flesh those ideas out. Yeah. 
I did read something um, related to the movie, but I mean, but kind of not was um, in doing the research that this movie um, passed the Bechdel test. What is the Bechdel test? So the Bechdel test was, I think it's, her name was Alison Bechdel. And it was this idea that a movie should, should be able to do one of the three things. It, be, it became known as the Bechdel test. It has to have at least two female characters that have a conversation with each other that isn't about one of the other male characters. And when you really look at movies, that's hard to find. And Alien is one of those movies. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's great. Just talk about um, uh, Lambert and uh, and Ripley. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I would I would have facts. liked to have seen that that scene left in. Yeah. As opposed to the cocooning scene, which of course James Cameron took off and and ran with in in his film in yeah. in his sequel. Mm-hmm. Did you want to deal with sequels? No. You don't at all. No, I I feel like once we do Aliens, we yes. can. Okay. Yeah, because Aliens is in the book, and so I feel like it would make more sense. Do you to... want to deal with Prometheus? I haven't seen it. That is frustrating. Well, fuck you. <laughs> I'll watch it before we do Aliens. Okay. How about you. that? All huh? Right. How about right. that? Wow. All right. I'll watch all these other fucking Alien movies. Have you not seen Three or Resurrection or? No, I have not seen anything after Resurrection. Okay. I have seen what's in the quadrilogy. Okay. But not Prometheus or Covenant. Is, is that it? Yeah, Covenant. Or Alien versus Predator. Well, you don't need to see those. My One of my favorite Ridley Scott moments, he was at some Comic-Con around, I think, the time, either right before they were going to start working on Prometheus or they were announcing Prometheus. And somebody had got up and had the nerve to ask him how he felt about aliens versus predator and and whether he considered them to be canon or not his response is perfect it's one of the most diplomatic responses i've ever heard i have a very good working relationship with fox and so i'm going to decline to answer that (laughs) although speaking of canon this i find fascinating but apparently very very recently i don't have the date on here but ridley scott apparently confirmed that alien and blade runner share a universe yeah I, I find that fascinating. I, that that Whalen Yutani and uh, or just Wayland as it as it is in the prequels and uh, the Tyrell company are rival corporations and I think there's a whole theory about um, because Alien is so much further in the future than Blade Runner or yes. even Blade Runner 2049. I think I'm trying to remember the timeline. Like Prometheus is set in like the 2070s, the late 2070s, and so this is like the late. 2090s or the early like 2100s yeah so i wish i remembered there. exactly and when it starts yeah but. and there's a great somebody put together a great timeline that makes them all make sense and so there's a theory that the tyrell corporation fully goes bankrupt or at least before 2049 came out when it was remade into i can't remember that character's name now the one played by jared, jared leto yeah but that character that that company is cannibalized by the whaling company okay and so that they, they are connected, which is really cool. And that the fact that now that is probably how Whalen got its feet, their their feet in the door as far as creating artificial life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which brings us to Ian Holm, who hey. I said that I was going to talk about quite a lot. Yeah. So firstly, Ian Holm and I share a birthday. Hey, look at that. We're both born September 12th. Obviously him much, much, much. Yeah, he's like pushing 90 now. I was watching him very specifically in this film. And what he does and the subtleties in his performance, because now having Prometheus and again, you not having seen Prometheus, it makes me I know there's a lot of hatred towards it, which is frustrating because Prometheus turns around and asks the question, well, who was the space jockey? Where do they come from? 
why did they create these xenomorphs? Did they even create these xenomorphs? So what is their purpose? Therefore, what is our purpose in all of this? And where do we fit in? And I don't want to ruin anything for Prometheus for you that already oh. hasn't been. No, I not, I wouldn't say anything has been. But the main character in Prometheus really is David, is the Michael Fassbender, Fassbender. The, the android character. And the first time we see him, it, it's the similar situation to the way the alien opens in the sense that the ship appears to be abandoned and then it it's just him while all the other crew members are asleep he is maintaining the ship because he's an android he doesn't need sleep he can live forever essentially yeah. he's watching lawrence of arabia and so that's why his hair he's dying his hair blonde because he's seen peter o'toole with the and he's dying his and he's learning and okay. he's, he's taking things that he likes and applying them he even starts speaking in peter o'toole's cadence and he starts repeating lines for the film. It's really, really great. And it's really like sows the seed of, oh, he's learning. He's discovering things. What is he going to later discover that he doesn't like or wants to change? Yeah. Which becomes very important later in Covenant. So I was watching that. I was watching Ian Holm with that in mind and looking at the little things that he does. The My absolute favorite, favorite moment with him as a performer is his little jog, his little warm-up jog before he sits at the console. Because yeah. that's not something he ever would have been programmed with. That's something that he saw somebody do. Yeah. And now he thinks he should do that before he settles in to, you know, have to, like, run this mission from the console. Yeah. And just the the ways that he watches. I love his non-reaction. Everybody else reacts when the chessbirds are seen. Yes. Happens, but if you watch it, he doesn't. Because you get the impression. He, he doesn't. He may not know specifically what's coming. But he knows that Kane is not okay. Yeah. And he's just biding his time because, as you later find out, it is his job his to get to, this yeah. thing back. Mm -hmm. Because they know about that. The company has the knowledge about this, which I'm hoping if he ever gets to make his third prequel, which doesn't sound like it's going to happen, that, that that would be the connective tissue to bring us back to, well, how does Waylon know about this? And uh, yeah, again, I can't go any further without spoiling Prometheus and Covenant for you, which I sure. really don't want to do. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I will watch. I mean, <coughs> yes, I will definitely watch. I'll, well, I will watch those, and um, and uh, I've seen. Any, I haven't seen Resurrection in a long time, but I'll, you, I will. You don't need to. I know, but I'll still. I still will because yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and while we're thinking about Resurrection, I know you didn't want to talk about the sequels a ton. But this also deals with what we were talking about earlier with, with with Guiler and Hill trying to have too much control over this thing and trying to like really like massage it into the thing that they wanted it to be rather than allowing directors to do their own thing. But when it comes to the, the arguably the biggest sci-fi horror franchise in film history, why do you then turn around and get a French comedic director to direct Alien, the fourth film in your franchise, the film that's supposed to save the franchise after what you perceive to be a failure in the third one. Very, very strange choices have been made in yes. this franchise, which I, I feel like Ridley Scott doesn't get enough credit when he made Prometheus to try and turn the ship around. Yeah. I, if I you'll mean, excuse the pun. No, uh, I, I didn't catch that. Um, no, no, no. And I, not, not having seen Prometheus, I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of dissenting opinions about it, but... I, I can only agree with, with what you said about trying to, to write the ship because the fourth one is not good. Yeah, it's no. I, I don't, it's, I mean, you know, if I'm honest, I don't think the third one is that bad. Well, the long cut of three is spectacular and makes a really great end to a trilogy if you look at Ripley's story as a, as a three part 
trilogy. Yeah. But no, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to answer the question about why they hired. Like, oh, what's that guy? Because he did. Did he do Amelie? Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Yeah. 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 yeah such a such an odd thing to do. I, I love that Ridley turns around and asks those questions because I am fascinated. I think one of the greatest sets in film history is that space jockey set. Yeah. It is magnificent to look at. And I love that they fought so hard to keep it, even though they're like, nah, do it as a miniature. And, you know, it's, it's a, you're only going to be in there for five minutes and then you're on to something else. Yeah. I, like, I, I'm fascinated by it. There's a little piece that is never addressed again in this particular film or in the franchise up until Ridley came back to it. Yeah. Because how long, he asked the question, how long are you going to do the monster chasing the man down the tight corridor? You can only do that so many times. As they discovered, you've got to go back and you've got to deal with the uncomfortable questions or the ones that you don't necessarily have an answer to. Anyway, I'm, I'm obsessed with that set. Yeah. I absolutely adore the Space Jockey. Uh, Sideshow Collectibles, uh, who make incredible, very nerdy pieces, they did a full tabletop replication of it. It's huge. It's a couple feet high by a couple feet wide. And, uh, man, if I had a spare $600 kicking around... <laughs> I don't know where the hell I'd put it, but it's gorgeous. You make it the centerpiece of whatever the hell you yeah, want it to be. That yeah. is th- that is now the living room, and everything else now exists around it. <laughs> you justify having having a living room to have this piece in it. Yeah. Anyway, we're going meandering around, and I've been dominating the conversation. Where would you like to to take this? Well, I, I mean, not to maybe not finish totally, of course, but um, the way that Ash kind of starts to uh handle Ripley um the way that he's not you know breaking a sweat um the way he's just kind of taking care of it and when even like handling Yafit Koto at the same time but when I I love the the editing in this movie is great I'm, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't nominated for editing um so am I uh, and well very sad Terry Rawlings uh just passed oh a yeah. couple of weeks ago but when Yafet knocks fucking Ash's head off of off of the shoulders I just thought it was done so well, man. Yeah. Like it, the the cuts in there were great. And the other one that I, I brought up was um, the editing and the, and the score, or I, I think maybe at its best when Dallas is trying to hunt down. Yeah, does he more? Does a wonderful job of building and, the terror and, and that turn of the light, extension of the alien, the sound, and then the sound yeah. it, the the flatline. If yes, you will. that yeah. that's a great the the direction. The score, the editing, it, it was all top notch. And and it's not my favorite moment of the movie, but it's such it's a great it's a perfect example of showing those things. It it was just done really, really well. Yeah. Well, and anybody who, who loves the the production and design of this as much as I clearly do, and as much as you said that, that Geiger is the unsung hero and I agree with you on that, should one hundred percent see uh Dark Star, uh HR Geiger's world. Uh, which is a fascinating documentary. Nobody else had ever been given that kind of access to him and his home and his work in the past. It's a really, really well-made documentary for anybody who is fascinated by his work. I highly recommend it. It was very sad when he passed as well because he passed earlier than he should have. He was actually hanging a piece in his museum and fell. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I, I didn't do that kind yeah. of research. Very, yeah, it's a shame because he, uh, he had a lot to offer and created some of the most striking art that I think has ever been. In fact, I passed up at the Bellis Fair Mall. There was a little hippie, new age, almost Fuego-ish shop there towards the back of the mall, and they had a signed copy 
of the Necronomicon for I want to say somewhere between ninety and one hundred and ten bucks. You told me this, yeah, and it's haunted me to this day. That not buying that has followed me. See, I'm not even that big of an Alien fan, but man, I'm I want a piece to a pack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was Necronomicon one, the book that Ridley Scott discovered, and then turned around and chose to use those designs and it's the the alien specifically is in there yeah and he said don't change it he's like well i can do this no 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 i want exactly that yeah that is the alien and of course discovered uh mr beaujolais as well in a pub i think it was just this magnificently tall. he was like six foot ten or something like that yeah and yeah to, you had to give it the idea being that you wanted to believe that there was it wasn't just a man in a suit yes and so you had to go for something larger than, literally larger than life, mm-hmm. and find that kind of an actor with that sort of balletic physicality. Yeah, uh, wonderful stuff. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I, I can't, I don't, I don't. You br- bringing up Event Horizon as your as your recommend earlier in the episode is fantastic because I think that proves that this film's influence cannot be understated. Very much so. I mean, and there's a lot of a lot of movies that I, I know I haven't seen, but I know there's a lot of kind of space horror movies that have that have come out. And, and well, I had brought up Pandorum, yes, many uh, yeah, many yes. episodes ago. Yeah, um, but like, isn't um, is Sunshine not that? I would, yeah, I would say there's even influence on Danny Boyle's Sunshine as well. Again, coming back to O'Bannon being as arrogant as he was, I he he's right, like. They created from his script the penultimate sort of version of crossing these genres and putting it in space and having coming out of the 50s and 60s with all these creature features and films dealing with, you know, Red Scare and then manifesting that using aliens instead of, of you know, people to, to personify Red Scare and, and being afraid of something, turn, communism coming in and infecting you and changing your way of life running with those ideas and putting the the crazy psychosexual rape sort of veneer over it like they did yeah because that's in my mind that's what's happening in the film especially when the alien kills lambert it is a it is a you see the tail go up between her it is a you have to assume that there's a penetrative moment that happens there and her death is more of a rape than it is a flat-out killing yeah which just the film excels because of how little you see, less is more throughout yeah. this entire film. Yeah, the death of uh, um, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, especially. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, we haven't even really talked about Harry Dean Stanton. Like, how good is he? He's fine. He's fine. Uh, I'm, and that's not. And trust me, everybody in the cast is 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 good. Yeah. Let me say that everybody in the cast is good. Do you have a favorite of the seven? It's not Tom Skerritt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say Skerritt is the most average in that bunch although i did that was i was um i don't know i don't know if it was this episode or another one but i did read that harrison ford was in line to play dallas really yeah Hmm. um and i don't know if it was scheduling conflicts with apocalypse now or if it was just that he just had done star wars um i think this movie is five percent better if harrison ford is playing dallas yeah i also don't think you couldn't have killed dallas though dallas would have had to survive in either in addition to Ripley or instead of Ripley, oh, if, you if, cast, Harrison Ford. if you cast Harrison Ford, uh, I don't know. It's either Sigourney or Ian Holm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm glad you're coming with me on the Ian Holm. Trend. No, no, no. I, I think, I think Veronica Cartwright is 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 good. Um, 
she's close to being hysterical too much for me. It's it's hard to like just listen to her. Well, I um, think I think my review from the BFI hit the nail on the head. There, it is. She is got probably the most thankless yeah, role. Yeah. It might fuck Yoff, Yoff is up there too though. He's I, so good. Yeah. And his improvising Shit. and his messing with everybody and his constant the pushing of the pay. This I'm told it's a cop out. It's a three-way tie between Holm, Yafet Koto and Sigourney Weaver. No. Yeah. And what a and what a great job. What a, an inspired idea to make it to make her the hero of the piece and make sure that she survives. I mean, this is the thing that people praise Ridley for is making sure that women don't just get relegated to, you know, side characters. Yeah. But they actually have roles in his films of substance, of which Thelma and Louise is probably the most important. Well, the other thing, too, and, and I mean, this movie is definitely, you know, lives on as being one of the, you know, not Rushmore female action hero-driven movies. Rightly so. But it's not just because she's a, a badass, which I think it's 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 there. I, I think I think that becomes clearer in the later movies. Right. But I I think the pinnacle moment of her taking charge. I just I it's I love her refusing to let them in. Yeah. I I I love that. And I mean, obviously, it sets a lot in motion later on, plot wise. But I think it's it's one of the best parts of the movie. And it's so small, and nothing huge even happens. But. But you know, the second that, the second that, she, you know, they they go against her orders and let them in, like yeah. the, you're you're instantly on her side at that point. Yeah, I think is is that's a great sort of plot device in order to make sure that you, you are rooting for her and you want to make sure that she makes because she's the one that stands up and says no, and everybody else, doesn't listen to her. In yeah. fact, somebody there's a on Twitter, Liz had shared this with me. Somebody had said that, I've been a professional film critic for x number of years did you see this this one yes and my wife gave the single greatest review of alien it's it's two hours of people not listening to the woman and then they all get killed it's something along the lines of you know how they should have listened to her the entire time yes that's essentially what the movie boils down to it's a great it's one of the best tweets i've ever seen but i want to i know we've got to get close to wrapping up here I wanted to bring the the film up into to modern times as we as I mentioned that its its influence can't be understated. I wanted to really highlight the high school in New Jersey. Oh yeah. Oh North, yeah. North Bergen High who you know got together their their own money. They financed the whole thing themselves and nobody really prompted them to do this. They just wanted to do a stage production of Alien and it caught the I it's one of those it's one of these great little stories because the news is just so goddamn depressing every day to wake up and to have to read the shit that we read on a daily basis. Just this is one of those little glimmers of hope in in an otherwise depressing world and the fact that it caught the attention of both Ridley Scott and Sigourney yeah. Sigourney Weaver showed up yeah. to to the the I'm I oh man it fills me with such joy. I I started tearing up when I saw that video and the way that they reacted to her being there. As so and Ridley donated something like five grand to the encore performance to make sure that it would happen. Yeah. Yeah. That just like warms it. It brightens my soul, which I know you're very surprised to hear the fact that I have one. A soul. Yeah. Maybe a little bit, a little bit. And then, uh, actually starting, starting May 3rd. So by the time this goes out, I think they'll almost be at the end of it. They're going, IGN is going to be releasing six short films to celebrate the 40th anniversary 
something like 500 films were submitted by young and emerging filmmakers to sort of, you know, little little episodes in the alien world. So I'm very excited yeah. to to go through and watch that. That'll be fun. See those. Yeah, so they'll be on IGN. Obviously, like I said, this goes out on the, the 24th. So yeah. they should all have been released by the time this goes live. Okay. I, I think I hit most of the points that I wanted to hit. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and just harp on about how much I love Ridley Scott and what he did for the genre. Do you have a favorite moment in the movie? It's it's the the reveal. It's going into the ship and the reveal of the space jockey. Yeah. It's and then going down into the the egg chamber. It's the, that whole sequence and going out onto the planet. I mean, I there's so much that has been documented. There's so much great little trivia and anecdotes. I mean, we could talk about the fact that in the wide shots, those are Ridley's kids. Yeah. In the small space shoots as well. Almost as, like, passing out. Oh, yeah. As they, you know, because, you know, good on them. Luke and Luke and Jake Scott, who were both great filmmakers in their own right. They both made fantastic movies. As well as his daughter is also a really good director, too. Did a film called Cracks with Ava Green, which is a really, really good film. Huh? And, I mean, there's all sorts of trivia behind... Well, yeah, there's something I read, um, and and I've heard of another movie doing this too. But like, apparently, they they occasionally would push the walls in on the mm. set, yeah, to help the sense of claustrophobia. And the fact that the, it was a real working yeah. set, like you had to literally walk through the thing yeah. to get out of it. The only other f- movie I've heard referenced with they they where I've heard that they they pushed the walls in like that to help sen- that feel that sense of being closed in on um, that I think works just as well. But it's a totally completely different type of movie. Is uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Oh really? Yeah, and that the the one room, the one room place they live in, just a Kate just getting a little bit tighter and tighter. You know, you can less kind of feel less that room with with Blanche and Stanley. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that you can really feel that. So we talked about we both agree that Geiger is the unsung hero. Yeah, I have my favorite shot of the space jockey and going down into the egg chamber, and the, another little anecdote that that's the lighting effect is borrowed from the Who, who were yes. Uh, Rehearsing next door. Uh huh. At Shepperton, did we discuss your favorite shot? You know, it's it's the chestburster scene. Yeah, it really is. It's just too iconic not to love. And and I, I'm surprised that it is. I I really am. Yeah, I think it's that. Are there any little throwaway things that you appreciate, like my Ian Holm running on the spot? Well, okay. So there's one <laughs> that I don't understand, and it made me chuckle so much. So I want to say it's it's. Ian Holm and Sigourney are talking. It's before it's before he goes after her, and which that scene to me is honestly more distressing to me than the chestburster is him forcing the magazine. Oh God! Into yes. her mouth, and then when they eventually knock his head off to the reveal that he yeah. is an android. Uh, yeah. Ridley, in the supplements, as you may have seen, he talked about that as a sexual experience for Ian Holm that he will never enter into a physical relationship and this is the closest that he's ever going to get to it yeah which is why i think we linger on it so long and watch his face and the decision to do that and how long it takes him to decide to do that yeah but i want to say that where that takes place it has to be either uh yafet's or uh harry dean stanton's like room because if, if in the background there's a bunch of like naked lady pictures yeah, yeah. okay you've noticed that yeah do you know what there's a picture of right above all the ladies? No. It's a picture of fried eggs. What? There's a random picture of eggs amongst all these pictures of women scantily clad. That's fantastic. It makes 
no sense at all. Yeah. And and I at some point I'm gonna have to just show you it because I'm like, what the fuck is this? It, that that's brilliant. That is something that really informs that character of, of just the little things that you would miss. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just having fresh <laughs> fried eggs, you know, because you can't take that shit up into space. You can't you can't fry an egg in space? I can't that believe I know that's of. the one thing that came to mind when you said, "What small things do you know?" Us? Well, there's fucking fried eggs. That's wonderful on the wall. I love that. Yeah, I don't know. That's that has made me so happy. Hearing you say that, that's yeah. wonderful. Before we before we conclude, because I think we're coming to our conclusion, I wanted to talk to you about the original ending. Yeah, I, I, actually, thank you, because that, that's where I was going. Yeah, go ahead. So, anybody who doesn't know, the ending was originally conceived that she would escape, much as she does, blow the ship up, and she'd be in the shuttle, and there would be a, a, a much different altercation between her and the Beast, where the Xenomorph would bite her head off, and then sit down at the console and start broadcasting a distress signal to Earth in Ripley's voice, which would have made for a very, very different franchise. <laughs> it's an Possibly a non-existent one. Yes, it's an interesting idea. There was no way in hell it was ever going to happen. But as far as amb- ambition goes, I, I think it's fascinating. Sure. I, I didn't know. I wanted to know what you thought of it. I I don't I don't like it. You don't like um, it. Well, no, I don't like it, and I I don't like it, and maybe it's just because I mean it, it doesn't work. Well, that, but I also you know the I I just love the story of of you know Ridley convincing the producers to give him more money to shoot. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was going to be my final point. Is is this is a sort of call to action for any people that are that talented and can't, cause I'm very, I can't draw. I'm very, very jealous of people that can just sit down and sketch out. Ditto. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very, very jealous of that talent and the fact that he was able to go away for a month. And I think he more that he talks about doubling the budget, but the budget ended up at about 11 million. So he more than doubled the budget over the course of the film, just by sitting down and making sure that he got his vision 100% across. This is exactly what it's going to look like. And they went, wow, no, we have to make this happen. So here you go. Here's double the money. And again, it's, it's another one of those things that you, you cannot undervalue that sort of, of dedication and sort of relentlessness in your vision and making sure that, you know, you're steering the ship and your vision is going to come across and you're going to tell the story that you want to tell. Yeah. I I love the getting into the suit. I love the slow burn of, of, of eventually, you know, opening the hatch and letting it fly out. Um, I have two more things to bring up that came up because of that. And I think that's probably the last two things and, and whatever else you want to say too. But it's hard. It's got one of those. The, this movie has one of those things where it's where it's just leave the fucking cat. <laughs> I, I I'm not even sure whose fucking cat it is. Is that clear? No, it's just they 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 got just, Jonesy. Just a fucking cat. Um, our our next cat is actually going to be named Jonesy. I, well, that's fine. That's great in, in honor of. But if if you ever go up into space and oh, the being, cat's not coming with us. Okay, well, okay, well, that's good. That's that's just good right there. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention uh, is the awkwardness. Of the very small underwear that Sigourney Weaver is wearing in the last scene. Well, I think originally she was supposed to be nude. And they were supposed to be nude when they came out of uh, the the chambers. Now, that I knew. I knew they had the the tape over their nipples. The the reason they changed it is to not offend the Catholic audience. Yeah. We were still in an age where, actually, very recently, Jack Valenti had been made the head of the MPAA. And so... 
the times they were changing as far as what people considered appropriate and yeah. not. And you had the whole Catholic League of Decency. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. It just seemed... Like, I don't mind that. I mean, she's she's getting out of what she was wearing. I don't mind how she's being shot. I don't I don't mind that. Do you uh, feel it's exploitative? Uh, it well, okay. I don't know. It seems a little unnecessary because we haven't had anything like that in the movie. These lingering shots of 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 her in kind of in this vulnerable state in you know what I mean? I I don't know that I am offended or find it exploitative because again i do think it's it's a moment where like i've just gotten through this you know event i mean you know and and she's i feel like she's changing and like you know she's trying to by shedding her clothes she's shedding the experience and then we're getting her to the point where we are our most vulnerable when we're naked it's just i'm sure that there's people have a lot of issues with with that in general mine is just the small nitpick of those underwear are like three sizes too small (laughs) <laughs> because we see so much of her ass crack. Well, yeah, but it's yeah. clearly they're clearly not meant for her. Yeah, yeah. And it's just how does it, how do you not go to shoot that and go? Fuck, those are too small. Yeah, but these 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 aren't this that's not right. <laughs> A person picking out their own underwear would realize no, these don't fit me. So, I, I, and I'm sure I, I, with a movie that had this much. Detail and precision. I, I'm actually, I'm positive there was a reason why they chose to oh, do I'm it. Oh, I'm sure way. it was a. De- Again, I believe it was probably but an exploitative. It's just a weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She she can't be naked, so we're gonna have her as close to being naked sure. as we possibly can. Yeah. 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 I don't want to end on that, so please say something else about this. Movie. Oh no, we're gonna end on <laughs> that. that. This is where we go. Okay, so it is. We all- have we have me having a go at the Catholic lead of decency, and we have your problem with small underwear. There you go. Great. Great. That's I, I know that's why they're that's that's why people are listening. Perfect. Well then we know our audience really well. I, <laughs> Ian. <laughs> stupid, dumb, obvious question time. Can I quote the movie when I do it? Should yes. Should Starby I mean, should Alien be in the book? Next silly question. Um I still use I use that almost every day. Nice. Is is John Hurt's quote there a terrible next silly question. I uh I do agree that this movie should be in the book. If almost for no other reason than it's got maybe the best the best tagline a movie has ever had. Yeah. Oh, the the advertising for this film. In space. No one can hear you scream. It's perfect. Yeah, it's great. It's good. Yeah, I don't really have any like wrap up final thoughts. It's a good movie. It's it's a classic for a reason. It's going to be around forever, thank God. It's in the National Film Registry. Yeah. Never going to not have it. Yep. Even though we we may not need some of the sequels, that's yeah yeah it's true. Um, so there you go. That's our episode on Alien, um, which I think inevitably we all we knew this was going to be in the book. I am kind of waiting for a really divisive film for us, where like you're so for it and I'm so against it. I want I kind of want that, but I don't know. We'll see. I, well, I feel like we had that with Badlands a little bit, a little bit, but but, but not to the not to the knockdown yeah. drag out. Yeah, you know which one we need to do. Take your pick. Princess Bride or, or Breakfast Club. Oh, God. That's fuck g- you. It's going to get ugly. Fine. It's going to get nasty. Yeah. yeah. I guess the I would say the worst was actually West Side Story because I really, really like West Side Story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Melissa is still reluctant to talk to me. That's 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 an accurate statement. You you set me up, though. Did I? You did, though. How? I don't think I knew that that was her favorite. Oh, film. no. I told you. Did you? I told you okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pretend like you set me up. That's just fine. Um. But you guys don't want to hear about this. Or maybe you do. doesn't matter. Either way, 
please reach out and let us know what you think of Alien, what you think of the franchise, um, what your favorites are. If you if there are some that you really like, some that you don't, um, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Interact with us. We uh, we love to interact with you. So just leave us some comments and we'll get back to you. If you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes and Spotify and um, Google Play. Um, we have some stuff in the work. We um we we are talking about the possibilities of some new stuff. We want to do a Patreon. We want to get more involved with with um with all of you. So um be on the lookout for some for new things. Um maybe a poll. I don't know. We like doing that kind of stuff. Ian, any final thoughts? Just thank you for listening. Thank you for indulging me in a in a Ridley Scott conversation. Oh, we we all yes, not a problem. We all love Ridley Scott. Um. Some of us, some of us more than others. That's fair. That's totally fair. (laughs) Uh, And until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.